Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. So what we're doing now is we're continuing our series on a closer look at 12 ordinary men. And tonight (laughs) we're getting into some really, really interesting things. We're going to see where some of these men were actual thugs, <laughs> which I found to be interesting. Because, you know, you've heard the expression, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, we've heard that, I'm sure. But I don't think we always really equate it. We don't think about it when we're reading the scripture, just how true that is. Well, some of the stuff that we see now with the gangs and the bloods and the Crips and ISIS and all the rest of that, it's not new. <laughs> okay. This stuff already had occurred. And we're going to touch base on that tonight, which I think is going to be kind of interesting. So the last time we were together, I started explaining some of the different little challenges that these 12 ordinary men have. Because up until this point, we've just been talking about how wonderful they are and, you know, how they made this great... Um, Well, they were the foundation of the church, and we appreciate that, and just all of the glorious things that we did. But we started to kind of get into them personally. And we talked about how even Jesus considered them having some challenges. Um, He even at one point had called them thick, dull, stupid, blind, which are all really harsh words. And we talked about that. And all of those terms or their equivalents were actually used in the New Testament. So this wasn't me fabricating it. These were words that were actually used. And we gave you some scriptures. If you weren't here, you can just jot this down. Acts, the first chapter, verses 3 through 5, actually talk about that. And it talks about also how he stayed with them. He still loved them so much. And he taught these men all the way, even after his resurrection, he still stayed with them on earth for 40 days, and he taught them. He continued to teach them until the moment he actually ascended to heaven, which just shows you just how much he really, really loved them. So one of the first challenges with these men is the fact that they really lacked spiritual understanding. Yes, they had the opportunity to walk with Jesus the Christ all this time, but they still, you know, there were some things that they just were not quite getting. And then we talked about a second thing that they lacked. Does anybody remember what that second thing was? Humility. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to know somebody listens to me. <laughs> yes. This, you know, I mean, well, you could, but anyway, yes. The second thing was that they lacked humility because they were very self-absorbed. And, you know, we talked about how we kind of know sometimes even believers today can be a little self-absorbed or self-centered, self-promoting and just proud, you know, and they kind of dealt with that. And of course, we talked about what did the Lord do with that when it came to them? How did he handle that? And I gave you scripture for that. And then when you really think about it, they also, in lacking humility, the one thing that he did, which we all know this story, which really showed them how to handle themselves, was he washed their feet. And we all know that story. And he really was a model of servanthood. And that's something we can always appreciate about him. Thirdly, uh, in addition to lacking understanding and humility, they also lacked faith. Now, we know how important that is. We now, for sure, know how important that is. But they actually really, really did. And then we left off 
there last week. And I told you coming back, we were going to talk about the fourth and fifth things that they lacked. The fourth thing that they lacked, I mentioned to you, was commitment. And think about it. They were really thrilled when they were walking with the Lord. And the crowds were cheering, and the miracles were being multiplied. I mean, they just thought that was just wonderful. I mean, you would like that, too. If every time, just I think of this. I think of, you know, like whenever the president, any president, <laughs> enters into a room, president of our country, they do what? They play, hail to the chief. After a while, come on, he's got to kind of like that. I mean, in the natural, he should remain humble, but he's got to kind of like that. And I would think when the time comes that they don't do that, or if they don't, he probably misses it. You know, I mean, wouldn't you think? Okay, well, believe me, in their particular instance, <clears throat> as soon they were so, they showed exactly how they felt about it, because as soon as the soldiers appeared <laughs> in the garden to arrest Jesus, what did they do? They all just forsook him and they fled. It's shown to us, turn with me to Mark's gospel. We're going to look at Mark's gospel, the 14th chapter, verses 48 through 50. Let me know that you're there by saying amen. Mark 14, verses 48 through 50. I'm going to share it with you first out of the Amplified. Are you there? Okay, well, it don't sound like it. Okay, good. Starting with verse 48, Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Day after day, I was with you, teaching in the courts and porches of the temple, and you did not seize me. But this has happened so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Then all of his disciples abandoned him and fled. <laughs> The message puts it in a different vernacular. It says, Jesus said to them, what is this? Coming after me with swords and clubs as if I were a dangerous criminal? Day after day, I've been sitting in the temple teaching, and you never so much as lifted a hand against me. What you, in fact, have done is confirm the prophetic writings. All the disciples cut and ran, which really, really says a lot. Now, this is interesting. Their leader, Peter, ended up denying Jesus and swearing he didn't even know the man. On top of it, he just, I, I don't even know who he is. Now, how do you think Jesus must have felt? Now, yes, we know that he knew Peter was going to do this, but still, he was still clothed in humanity at the time. So how in the world do you think he, he felt? How would you have reacted if that had been you and you received that kind of treatment? Well, we can all learn, once again, from how Jesus handled their attitudes and behavior. What did he do? He chose to intercede for them. He prayed that they would remain faithful and that the Father would bring them to heaven. Let's look at John's Gospel, the 17th chapter. And we're just going to look at verses 11 through 26. Now, this is my favorite by far, chapter in all scripture, John 17. And the reason why it is my favorite is very personal, because for me, when I read it the first time, for me, it allowed me to really see the heart of Jesus. So I, I just happen to, you know, it's, it's just one of those chapters that, you know, if I just ever need to just really, really, really just feel super, super close 
to the Lord. All I have to do is read this chapter. Now, my favorite translation, I'm not going to read to you now, because if I read it to you now, I probably won't get through it because I'd probably cry. And that's the amplified version. So I highly suggest that you read this, these verses of scripture in the amplified. They are absolutely, it's just absolutely beautiful. I mean, it is. But I'm going to share it with you out of the message, because the message it still gives you a really, really good glimpse of it. So this is John, the 17th chapter. We're going to start with verse 11 out of the message. And it says, and this is Jesus speaking. I spelled out your character in detail to the men. Well, this is Jesus. Okay, let me set it up this way. This is him praying to the Father. Okay, just so that you know. All right. So. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. I spelled out your character in detail to the men and women you gave me. They were yours in the first place. Then you gave them to me. And they have now done what you said. They know now beyond the shadow of a doubt that everything you gave me is firsthand from you. For the message you gave me, I gave them. And they took it and were convinced that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the God-rejecting world, but for those you gave me. For they are yours by right. Everything mine is yours, and yours mine. And my life is on display in them. For I'm no longer going to be visible in the world. They'll continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me. So they can be one heart and mind, as we are one heart and mind. As long as I was with them, I guarded them in the pursuit of the life you gave through me. I even posted a night watch, and not one of them got away, except for the rebel built, bent rather on destruction, the exception that proved the rule of scripture. Now I'm returning to you. I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy completed in them. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it, because they didn't join the world's ways, just as I didn't join the world's ways. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. And the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes, so there'll be truth consecrated in their mission. I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are. I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and love them in the same way you've loved me. Father, 
I want those you gave me to be with me right where I am so they can see my glory, the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there ever was a world. Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I have known you. And these disciples know that you sent me on this mission. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. Isn't that beautiful? Oh my goodness, I just, now here's the thing. And this is something that in this translation, I like how they did it. And we really need to keep this in mind. He is praying, Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me so that they may be one heart and mind as we are one heart and mind. So what does that mean? It means that we as the body of Christ, all of us are to be what? One heart, one mind. When we are that way, we then are walking in the power and the authority and can do all kinds of things the same as Jesus did. But we need to remember that we're to be one heart, one mind, the same way as Jesus is with the Father. And when you really think about the fact that they reside in us, how dare we not be one heart and one mind? So anyway, I just, I, that to me, if you, 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 hopefully, like I said, read it out of the Amplified. Take some time with it and just sit and read the whole entire chapter. I promise you, you will be blessed. And if you are not blessed, you can personally come and talk to me and I will personally pray with you because you will really be missing something great because it truly, truly explains the heart of Jesus. Now, the fifth thing that these wonderful men lacked was power. On their own, they were weak and helpless, especially when confronted with the enemy. Now, we'll put the pause right there. Now, they were not born again and spirit-filled, okay? So they didn't have the same things available to them that we as believers do. Yet and still, if we do not have that one heart and that one mind, if we, do, if we are not sensitive to all that God has given to us through Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and we don't operate in that authority, don't we also lack power? Okay? And especially when we're confronted with the enemy, you know, like you get people that give you those phone calls, please pray for me because I don't know what I'm going to do. My rent's due and I don't know how I'm going to pay it. Or I went to the doctor and I got this really evil report. Oh, please pray for me. Okay, you, and it's, uh, trust me, praying for someone, that's something I love to do. I know the power and the importance of prayer and the agreement of prayer. But the point of the matter is, if you are a believer, you have that same authority as any of us through the name of Jesus, you just need to open up your mouth. Okay, so anyway, there were times when these 12 ordinary men, they tried to cast out demons, but they just couldn't do it. Their faithlessness, because that's really exactly what it was, just left them unable to utilize the power that was available to them. What did Jesus do to remedy their weakness? 
He had an answer for that too. On the day of Pentecost, he did what? He sent the Holy Spirit to indwell them and empower them. This was a promise that he had made to them. We're all familiar with it, but just turn to Acts 1.8. We all know this, these verses of scripture, you know this, but turn to it anyway. Acts 1.8, I'm gonna share it with you out of the easy to read first. And it says, but the Holy Spirit will come on you and give you power. You will be my witnesses. You will tell people everywhere about me, in Jerusalem and in the rest of Judea, in Samaria and in every part of the world. The Amplified Classic, it's the qualifiers that we love with the Amplified. It breaks it down even more and it says, but you shall receive power. Here's the qualifier. Ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. The Living Bible puts it this way. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power to testify about me with great effect to the people in Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth about my death and resurrection, which means we have the Holy Spirit within us. And for those of us who are filled to overflowing, and I would like to think that's each and every one of us sitting here, okay, with evidence by speaking with other tongues, he's empowered us to be able to go and share the good news of Jesus with everybody. Where does it say? In every part of the world, to the very bounds of the earth, to the ends of the earth. In other words, you're never supposed to stop. It is something that we're supposed to do on a continuous basis. That's our mission. That's kind of like what we're here to do. So we should be encouraged by that. Now, I am sure that at this point in studying, because we have studied these 12 ordinary men for a long time, you may wonder why Jesus did not simply pick a different group of men. I mean, what did he pick these men for? Why did he single out men with no understanding, no humility, no faith, no commitment, and no power. That's really a lot to say, but it's simply this. Turn with me, I'll show you. Second Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and we're gonna look at verse nine. Second Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verse nine. I really want you to see this. And this is Paul, Paul is writing this. So Paul is the writer of this verse. Okay, in the easy to read version it says, but the Lord said, my grace is all you need. Only when you are weak, even everything be done completely. Oh, even can everything be done completely by my power. So I will gladly boast about my weaknesses. This is Paul speaking. Then Christ's power can stay in me. Now, this is the best translation. The Amplified Classic Edition says it this way. But he said to me, my grace qualifier, my favor and loving kindness and mercy is enough for you, sufficient against any danger and enables you to bear the trouble manfully. For my strength and power are made perfect, fulfilled and completed and show themselves most effective in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly glory in my weaknesses and infirmities that the strength and power of Christ the Messiah may rest, yes, may pitch a tent over and dwell upon me. And the Living Bible just says, 
Each time he said no. I am with you. That is all you need. My power shows you best. My power shows best in weak people. Now I am glad to boast about how weak I am. I am glad to be a living demonstration of Christ's power instead of showing off my own power and abilities. Now, I want to talk about this a little bit because some people will read this and automatically start saying, okay, so that means if I'm sick and broke and don't have anything and, you know, it just seems like I'm on the last leg of everything, that's great. I should just glory in that because, you know, that just makes the Lord shut. That's not what he's saying, okay? That's not what he means. What he means and what he's saying here is we know that we're intelligent people. Okay, God gave us all brains and they work well. And we do use our brains to evaluate and calculate and make good sound decisions about things in our life, which is a good thing. However, you can get to a point where you are using your evaluations and calculations to govern everything. You just kind of figure it all out. Like, okay, say for instance, um, I wanna move. Okay, and I want to move from here to, I don't know, Hawaii, why not? It seems like a nice place. Okay, uh, you know, I, I'm going to move. Uh, so I figure the best time for me to move is such and such a time, and I need to sell my condo, and I need to do this, and I need, you know, and I'm figuring out everything that I need to do because I'm evaluating and calculating. However, I get over to Hawaii and find out that that was probably not the best thing for me because had I stayed maybe just six months longer, when I sold my condo, if I would have waited six months, I would have gotten like another $250,000 for it. Whereas I lost that because my mind said that I should move when I did. And then I find when I get over there that I'm allergic to pineapple. And I was really going over there because I thought I was just going to love pineapple. And everywhere I look, there's pineapple and it's just not good for me. The point that I'm making to you is, it's when we get to a point where we realize our wisdom is very finite. His wisdom is infinite. When we go to him with the spirit of meekness and humility and say, Father, show me what I'm supposed to do. I will do what you say. I think the move to Hawaii might be good, but I'm not doing anything until you show me exactly what I'm supposed to do. You see, then when you do that, that's when he shows up, when you are in that state. And he tells you, no, wait six months. And then go, and you know what? Instead of you really going to Hawaii, because I know that's what you think, I think you should go to Sacramento. It's still really nice over there. You'll love the magnolia trees. You won't be concerned with pineapple, because I already know you're allergic to pineapple. You don't know that, but I do. So therefore, do that. Meaning he'll direct your path, and you'll know what to do. But it's really hard, and in the time in which we live, it's becoming harder and harder for us simply because we have what? Constant things at us all the time. We walk around with computers in our hands called a phone. We are constantly Googling this. Let's check out this. We'll self-diagnose this. We'll do this. And we're further and further taking the wisdom of God and putting it on the back burner. We're not intentionally doing it, but we're doing it all the same. That's what we cannot afford to do. We have to stop and just say, you know what? In my weakness, not weakness like we're feeble, broke, disgusted, and have nothing. Weakness in the sense that we don't know all there is to know. 
Are you made perfect? And I'm going to listen to what it is that you are instructing me to do. So that's really what he's talking about. So this scripture shows us how Jesus chooses the weak things of this world. And I like that too, because sometimes people, again, have a tendency, we put titles on things. In other words, if you go to make a reservation somewhere, and you tell them your name is Dr. So-and-so, opposed to Ms. or Mr. So-and-so, they automatically start making us, okay, I got a better one. I, again, I always use myself or use my family. My daughter recently moved, and she is a doctor, okay? But she doesn't make a big deal out of it. She just says who she is, okay? But when she was going to uh, rent this particular place, it was really, really very nice. So what the realtor wanted to do, the realtor wanted the... Uh, the homeowner that she was going to be renting from to know that she was a doctor. And it just so happens <laughs> that her last name is Pallavicini. Now think about it. How many black people do you know that have the last name Pallavicini? Not many, okay? So therefore, it's Dr. Pallavicini who wants to rent this place. So, oh yes, everything went through, you know. <laughs> When the homeowner saw my daughter, now it just worked out well because praise God, you know, my daughter is, is, is wonderful. Of course I'm going to say that, but she is. So it worked out, but I know full well that it made a difference to this. Had she just put down Ms. Pallavicini, it would have, you know, she would have had to maybe jump through more hoops. The point that I'm making to you is we're kind of conditioned in this world that way. I, we know it's not right, but it doesn't matter. It still exists. Just like we know there's a double standard, you know? Like you can see a woman walk down the street and if she's got a cigarette hanging out her mouth, cussing like a sailor, you don't have to be born again. You'll find that distasteful. It just does not seem right. Whereas if a guy does it, you're just like, oh, that's a guy. No, it's still bad, but it's still a double standard. That's just how things really are. So <laughs> we have to be mindful of that. We have to remember that. And the thing is, and I really, what was my point that I was going to tell you? Oh, gosh. That people take titles. Yeah, I know, but that wasn't it. Maybe, okay, no, this is what I was going to say. So, when Jesus picked these men, the thing is, he purposefully chose people that no one could look up to and say there was anything good, great, or special about them. He did that on purpose. And we're going to see even more so how he did it when I tell you about the thuggish nature of some of these people as well, because they were absolute thugs. And there's a very interesting part there. So he chooses the weak things of this world to confound the mighty. No one could ever examine this group of men, ever, and conclude that they did what they did because of their own abilities. They just couldn't do it because of their natural abilities. It didn't happen. There is no human explanation for the influences 
of the apostles because they were so ordinary. They were almost like below ordinary, if you think about it. So what, me, what happens as a result of that? What happens as a result of that is that all of the glory goes where? It goes totally to God. So the apostles, relative brief training, because remember we talked about it, it was about 18 months. That's pretty brief, okay? That they had with Jesus, it still bore eternal fruit. At first, it might have seemed that everything would be for naught or for absolutely nothing. That night, the night that Jesus was betrayed, they were scattered like sheep whose shepherd had been smitten or really hit hard. Think about how some of them may have felt, because remember, they were not born again. And this was a person that they had left everything for, they traveled with him, they were following him, and then all of a sudden he was arrested like a common criminal. It was making them start to doubt absolutely everything. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel. We're going to look at chapter 26, verse 31. Matthew 26, verse 31. And in the New King James Version, and this is Jesus, like I said, he knew what they were going to do. So this is Jesus speaking. Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. The Amplified says, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. Here's the qualifier, disillusioned about me, confused, and some even ashamed of me. For it is written in the scriptures, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. The living Bible says, and Jesus said to them, tonight you will all desert me. For it is written in the scriptures that God will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. <laughs> oh. Even after the resurrection, they still seemed timid. Some of them were really full of remorse over their failure and too aware of their own weaknesses to even minister with confidence. Now, remember how I started this series and I said, I always want us to take their lives in juxtaposition to our own so that we can learn from them. Here's the point that came to me. Many of us have been Christians for, you know, more than a year or two. We've been doing this for a little while. And we still may have family members or people that are close to us that have not received their salvation. And for some of us, we get kind of down about that. You know, we feel like, well, you know, I shared the word. I don't, I don't understand. Is it, you know, why am I even bothering? You know, is it all for naught? Is it just nothing? Here's what you need to understand. Any morsel that you have left with them was a seed that you planted. It was not for naught. It was an eternal seed. You don't know when the harvest is going to be because you are not God. All you need to keep doing is keep watering the seed that you've planted and know that God is faithful and that he will honor it and just continue to thank him for the harvest that you believe that you've received. Don't feel downtrodden. Don't feel bad. I mean, for them, they, they didn't have the Godhead living within them, but we do. So definitely don't ever feel that way. But after Jesus ascended to heaven, 
The Holy Spirit came. We just read that, right? And it infused them with what? With power. And it enabled them to do what Jesus had trained them to do. And they did it mightily. The whole book of Acts actually records how the church was launched. And the rest of it is actual history. Now, here's where we're starting to get interesting. There are four lists of the 12 apostles. Now, if you're a note taker, this is when you need to start taking your notes. There are four lists of the 12 apostles in the New Testament, okay? So I'm gonna start sharing those with you now. So the first place I want you to turn is Matthew's Gospel, the 10th chapter, and we're gonna look at verses two through four. I'm gonna share it with you out of the Amplified. Okay, so starting with verse two, in the 10th chapter of Matthew, it says, now these are the names of the 12 apostles. Here's the qualifier, special messengers, personally chosen representatives. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Nathaniel, Thomas and Matthew, also known as the Levi, or sometimes called that, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Judas, not Iscariot. Simon, the Canaan, or the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Now, when we read in verse three, where it's talking about James, the son of Alphaeus, you can just jot this down. He was known as James the Less, or James the Younger. And it really is believed that his mother, Mary, was a sister or sister-in-law of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Okay, just so that you know that part. Now that you've looked at that, we're gonna look at Mark's gospel. So just turn over to Mark, and we're gonna look at verses 16 through 19. Starting with verse 16, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, Mark 3, Mark the third chapter, verses 16 through 19. You're welcome. Okay, so starting with verse 16, in the third chapter of Mark, it says, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, really wonderful name. That is sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. And you can read it out of like any translation you're really gonna get the same thing when it comes to that particular verse of scripture. I want you to switch over to Luke. Luke's gospel, Luke 6, the sixth chapter of Luke. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. So I'm going to read this to you out of the Living Bible translation. So this is Luke's gospel, the sixth chapter, starting with verse 13. At daybreak, <clears throat> he called together his followers and chose 12 of them to be the inner circle of his disciples. They were appointed as his apostles or missionaries. Here are their names. 
Simon, he also called him Peter, Andrew, Simon's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, a member of the Zealots, a subversive political group, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Okay? Now, I'm going to read that listing of names, and I want you to write it down, because we're going to come back, and you're going to see why. Okay? So just write down these names in the order that I give them to you. You don't have to write down the explanation of everything, but just write down their names. Simon, who is also called Peter. Andrew, who is Simon's brother. You don't have to write that, but just put Simon and then Andrew. James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, and you can in parentheses if you want, put Nathaniel, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, put a zealot next to it, because this was Simon a zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. And then lastly, we're going to read out of the first chapter of the book of Acts. So we're going to go back to Acts. We were there a little bit ago. We're going to go back to it, and we're going to read verse 13. So it's Acts 1, but we're going to just read verse 13. And I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified first. And it says, when they had entered the city, they went upstairs to the upper room where they were staying indefinitely. That is, Peter and John and his brother, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Thaddeus, the son of James. Now, looking at it in the message, it says, so they left the mountain called Olives and returned to Jerusalem. It was a little over half a mile. They went to the upper room they had been using as a meeting place. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, son of James. Now out of that, what's missing? Judas Iscariot. Exactly. Means you were listening. Very good. Yes. He is, okay? So in all four biblical lists, the same 12 men are named. And the order in which they are given is strikingly similar, okay? The first name in all four lists is Peter, okay? Therefore, he stands out as the leader and spokesman for the whole company of the 12. Now, the 12 are then arranged in three groups of four. That's why I wanted you to write the names down, okay? Because now we're going to break them down into the three groups of four. Group one always has Peter as the head of the list. And the group always includes Andrew, James, and John. Okay? So you have that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Group two always features Philip first and includes Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. Then we have the third group, 
which is always led by James, the son of Alphaeus, and it includes Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James, who's usually called Thaddeus, and finally, Judas Iscariot. Now notice Judas Iscariot is omitted, like we just said, in the first chapter of Acts because he was already dead by then. In the three lists where Judas's name is included, however, it always appears where? Last? And along with the remark, definitely identifying him as the traitor, okay? Now, the three names at the head of each group seem to have been the group leaders of that group, okay? The three groups always appear in the same order. First, Peter's group, then the group led by Philip, then the group headed by James. So you following me so far? Okay. Now another interesting point is the groups appear to be listed in descending order based on their, the level of intimacy that they had with Christ. Remember how last week I said, we were going to talk about this, and I said how all of us, you know, we're here because of the teaching of Apostle Frederick K.C. Price, okay? And all of us are really thrilled because he's such a wonderful person. He and Dr. Betty, whenever they're here, they let us come up. We can shake their hand. We can, you know, talk to them. And that's wonderful because in some places you can't even do that. So we do have, you know, we could say there's a, a level of intimacy because we can talk to them and shake their hand and stuff like that. And that's a wonderful thing, okay? There are some of us who may have known them for years and years and years. So that's, that's wonderful because if you just met him and maybe you've only known him for five years, well, if you've known him for almost 40 years, eh, that means you might know a little bit more because you've just known him a little bit longer. Then we have Minister Scott who is in the family, who knows like almost everything about him. So therefore he can share things with us that we would never even begin to know. So his level of intimacy, he's in the inner circle, okay? So his level of intimacy is totally different than any of us could ever imagine, correct? Well, that's what these groups, this is what we're trying to show here, okay? So you've got the three levels in the same way that I explained the three levels in my scenario. Okay, everybody got that? Okay, good. So, turn with me to John's Gospel, the first chapter. John's Gospel, the first chapter. Okay, and we're gonna look at verses 35 through 42. And I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified because it's got all the qualifiers. And it says, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked along and said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following him and asked them, what do you want? They answered him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come, and you will see. So they went with him and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard what John said, and as a result, followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first looked for and found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means the Christ. 
Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So the whole point of that, well, some things I should tell you. Hmm. Um, if you look at verse 42, which was the last one that we read, rock or stone is exactly what, you know, when you hear that they say Peter is the rock, sometimes people take that and take it to a whole different thing. It, it's meaning that's what his name translated and that's what it meant. It doesn't mean that he was like the rock of all there was. No, he wasn't. It just means that's what his name meant. You know what I mean? Like, like my name is Iva and it means God's gracious gift. Now some of you may not feel that way. I like it. <laughs> I think it's absolutely wonderful. But some of you may go, okay, well he missed that. But the point is, that's what the meaning of the name means. Okay, so I just want to be clear on that particular point. Here's the thing. Jesus called them to himself. Therefore, they had been with them that's why Peter's name shows up at the top all the time. He had been with him for the longest, him and his brother, those two, okay? And occupied the most trusted position in his inner circle. They were often seen together in the presence of Jesus at very key times. One of the four, rather, in the first group, three, Peter, James, and John, form an even closer inner circle. Those three are with Jesus at major events in his ministry. We talked about how when, before he was betrayed in the garden, remember, he took these three with him and he asked them to watch and pray. And then he went to go up alone and actually pray. Now they fell asleep, but the point was, it was still these three. There, we always see him with these three. So they're even in the inner of inner circle, if you want to put it that way. Um, yeah, just like I said, they were with him um, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they were also with him at the heart of the Garden of Gethsemane. And we can confirm that. If you turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, because I don't want you to take my word, go to Matthew's Gospel, the 17th chapter, and we're going to look at the first verse. This is the Transfiguration. And it says, six days after Jesus took with him, and I'm sharing this out of the Amplified, six days after Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And then I'm just going to give you these and then we'll stop. Um, while you're in Matthew, just flip real quick to Mark. Mark's gospel, the fifth chapter and the 37th verse. And he allowed no one to go with him as witnesses except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Now you're already in Mark, so just go quickly over to the 13th chapter of Mark. And we're going to look at verse 3. Mark 13, verse 3. And it says, And he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. So what is this telling us? This is still telling us that first group of four. And then the last thing we're going to read, you're in Mark, flip over to the 14th chapter, and we're going to read verse 33. Mark 14, verse 33. 
and it says, he took Peter and James and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled, extremely anguished at the prospect of what was to come. So in everything that was a big thing for him, you could see this first group, and especially those first three. So that lets us know something. But when we come back next time, because I didn't get to it, but when we come back next time, we're going to find out some very interesting things about having an inner circle and how many people should be in your inner circle. OK, so that's going to be good. Then I'm going to tell you about this group that were the, what I would call, you know how they say OG, the original gangster? Well, I'm going to tell you about the original thugs, OK, that were in a group in this little 12th ordinary man. They actually had some pure thugs that were assassins and everything. It really gets interesting. So that's what we're going to do next. I mean, I really wanted to get to it today, but I didn't. But we will jump right into it, because it's right here. We're going to get into that next week. I'm telling you, it's getting very interesting. Because we keep thinking of them, you know, like how they are in the stained glass windows. Oh, these wonderful apostles. You know, you think of these beautiful songs. These guys were literal thugs, some of them. Oh, I found that very interesting. And I you will too. I hope you will. But anyway, that's why we haven't let up off of this series yet because there's a lot that isn't usually discussed about these 12 ordinary men. But just think about it. You're going to have so much to share <laughs> with your family and friends. You know, when you see these young people who think they know everything, okay, you can start telling them about, oh, really? <laughs> You'll have some more to share. So I think it's very good. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 945 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.